Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. It's been a busy week for the Golden Knights and the NHL. Uh, they finished off a 2-1 and one week with laying an egg last night in New Jersey. We're going to talk about that. There was the bounce-back game after the horrible Kings lost to where they beat Dallas. And midweek, they were in New York Islanders with pretty much a workmanlike road win. Uh, Chris was at that game, so we're going to get into that, his his impressions of being at the game and what he thought of the Golden Knights. Uh, Paul Staffney made his return last night in New Jersey, but Max Pacioretty missed the game. Uh, Coach was asked early in the game if Pacioretty, or early in the day, if Pacioretty was hurt. He said not that he's aware of. The press release said it was a minor injury, so it depends on who you want to listen to, whether it was a healthy scratch or not. Um, there's a lot to get to with the Golden Knights, and then Dan Harrigan's going to join us as we take a look at the Atlantic Division. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, Golden Knights fans, thanks for joining us Saturday morning or afternoon, wherever you may be. Um, interestingly enough, I was looking at the stats this week, Chris, and I saw that we had 2% of our listens this week came out of Afghanistan. So if, if, if that is, uh, some troops, some American boys and girls over there, um, thank you for listening. We hope we can give you an hour a week of, of Americanized hockey talk or, or, you know, a little slice of Americana. We thank you for your service. If that's who it is in Afghanistan that's listening, we notice you, we thank you and we respect what you're doing. So uh, with that, um, a welcome, Chris, good day to you, sir. We had a busy week. We did. And well, well said on that point. Um, we did. Uh, it's been a hectic time, but um Got to see a little hockey this week in person, so that's always a always a fun thing. Well, let's start there. You were at the game in in uh, Brooklyn. Looked like there might have been a couple good seats available, but uh, you you yourself had had pretty good seats to watch the game. What, oh. what was your impressions of of the Golden Knights and and the game in general? Yeah, section one twenty three, second row, nobody in front of us. Uh, basically, even with the between the face off dot and the blue line where nice. uh, Flurry was in goal between the first and third period. So, I mean, you know, the, I mean, it was amazing. The second period, the night dominated. But, I mean, somehow, some way, uh, it was uh, until Carlson tied it up at two. And, uh, if, uh, they had so many primetime chances that the Islanders either got lucky or they missed the net or, or so forth. But after two periods, I felt the Islanders were very fortunate to be at 2-2 and then uh, you know, they, they Leonard uh, didn't cover up a puck like he should have. Maybe the defenseman, uh, that was on the other end of the ice, so it's hard for me to see. But it looked like a, a bad goal given up by, by Leonard. But that was from from a little, from the other end of the uh, other end of the ice. But I thought the Knights, like you said, I think it was a solid, um, you know, road performance overall. And I just want to give a quick shout-out to uh, my boys who I went to the game with, uh, uh, Mr. Glenn, Mr. Uh, Mr. Jordan, and I got to meet a, f- a new a new friend. Made a new friend who's also a fellow podcaster, uh, Jimmy right. Faxon, uh, does a wrestling podcast. So you can follow him on Twitter at Jimmy Fax, Jimmy F A X. But as I digress, I thought the the, the night you said I thought the Knights played a real good uh, road game. Um, yeah, the power play has been in, in uh, missing in action, but. 
you know, and then when the Knights made a mistake, Flurry was there to make a uh, make a heck of a save. So, um, uh, you know, all in all, and I saw quite a number of uh, Vegas Golden Knight jerseys. Uh, actually, I've seen them a yeah. lot this week. I texted you last night, and I knew that the the Knights were, you know, in this part of town for a few uh, for a few days, starting on Wednesday. And I was walking back to Penn Station in New York City, heading back to Long Island. And I saw all these people walking around, and Penn Station, for those outside of New York area, is right where Madison Square Garden is, where the Rangers play. And I saw right. all these people with, with night jerseys. And um, uh, and I, I was like, oh, they must be playing the Rangers tonight. And I guess they were in Penn Station to take the train over to Jersey or whatnot. And, um, but, yeah, they, you, there's been a presence uh, in town uh I, I don't know if it's transplanted people from Nevada. I don't know if it's new hockey fans over here, and they said let's follow a new team. But seen seen a lot of Vegas Golden Knight uh, jerseys, and there was a good number of fans at uh, in uh, in Brooklyn. So uh, you, nice. you got a little fortunate that you got the Brooklyn game versus Nassau Coliseum, where the Islanders are back and where they belong tonight. And I think it's pretty apparent that the, the days of uh, the, you know until the new arena is set up. Uh, they're going to be playing at the Coliseum, but that's that's fodder for another day. But well, just I like looking what I at saw it, I, yeah, looking I, at it on I TV, like that Brook, that uh, the Brooklyn Arena does not look like it sets up well for hockey. Um, with the the whole one end is is closed off, right? There's no fans sitting at one one side of the ice. Um, turn turns into a, a pretty awkward setting for a hockey game and that's just me watching on tv but did you feel like that in there like kind of kind of a small town rink maybe yeah i felt like it was in a big movie theater (laughs) it was just like (laughs) okay very yeah very 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 generic Uh, it's a very generic place look it it was a stopgap at the end of the day it it, it went beyond serving it they needed a way station if you will to they had to to force their hand a lifeline yeah so they so everyone should be thrilled that it was there for these three, three, four years or whatnot, and it, it turned out to be that to get everyone to get the new ownership in, to get everyone situated, and uh, have this new arena finally, you know, finalized, as well as being able to go back to the Coliseum and the re- uh, renovated Coliseum and all that. If you watch uh, the highlights tonight. And, and you'll see that the Islanders are hosting the Red Wings at the Coliseum. On, even on TV, it will look like uh, night and day is not even putting it mildly, uh, right. you know, in terms of Brooklyn. But, um, yeah, I, I really liked what I saw from from, from Vegas. You know, their, from their top lines, William Carlson had a heck of a game, um, to to their to their role players. Flurry was flurry. I mean, I thought they, I thought they like you said, I thought they played a real solid game. Matt Barcel, I don't know if you couldn't tell it on TV. He was flying. He was, he was probably yeah. one of his best. He was probably. I mean, even the game plays it in score. Uh, he set Bovio up for a, a basically should have, should have been a goal. Uh, he, he was just. It was amazing. Like you could just tell being there live, as opposed to watching on TV. Some of the plays that he made didn't result into goals, but setting other people up is just ridiculous. I mean, uh, that's that's one of the things that. Uh, you know, came out from from being there, but um, uh, so I was kind of hoping that we w- wouldn't get flurry. But uh, you know, what can you do? I I I had a different take watching on TV. Now you said that uh, you were really impressed with the Knights in the in the second period, especially. Um, would it surprise you to know that New York outshot 
the Knights in the second period 12 to 5, and in the second and third yeah, I, period, outshot the Knights 20 to 10. You know, you know what's amazing is during that second period, they just, you know, territorially, uh, it, it felt the ice was tilted. Uh, they had all these chances, but they, they either was this last second deflections where the Islanders got fortunate, or they, they just missed the net, and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe the Islanders dodged yeah. that bullet. It felt like throughout that period, they were dodging all these different bullets, if you will. Um, so uh, even though the shot, and then I remember towards the end of the second period, and seeing like at one point that the Knights only had, I think, like 12 shots on goal. And it just didn't it just didn't feel right from a territorial position. Right. And again, you know, I don't know what their total shots were. I don't know how many missed shots that they had. But in that second right. period alone, they they had quite a quite a few. So obviously, they did not play, especially in the second half of that game in in New Jersey. They did not play um, that gracious. quality of a road game uh, like they did against the Islanders. And I don't know, maybe they took their foot off the gas. So you, uh, I didn't get to see the game last night. And you tell me. Well, you know, Schneider's, Schneider started for the first time in who knows how long. He hasn't had a win since December 17th of last season. Um, they wow. come out quick. Tuck, Tuck bangs a wraparound in on the backhand, one nothing. And I go to take my kid to uh, her, her taekwondo class. And by the time I walk from the house and get in the car and turn on the radio, it's two to nothing. A couple minutes later, it's three to nothing. Um, they go into the into the second period they get they get scored on there and then let me switch games here so then it's 3-1 right then then they go up 4-1 yeah they got it right back i believe got it right back and then the there's a, a fluky play where the the devils pass it up from behind the net and it, it caught McNabb, and he tries to clear it, but he puts it right towards the goal. And England is there, and it deflects off his stick, goes five-hole on Flurry, And and so it's 4-2. Um, their third goal was a beauty. And then the, the game-tying goal in the third period, about five minutes left. Um, there's a scrum in the goal mouth, and and. Carlson, the puck's just sitting there. Carlson gets pushed back. It hits his skate, and at the same time, Holden's right there, um, misses the clear, and then on the follow-through, bangs it into the net to tie the game for the Devils. And then Nico Heashier off a, a beauty cross-ice pass in overtime, um, skates across the goal mouth. Flurry kind of goes down, misses the poke check, and, and um, Heashier's able to finish far side backhand. Uh, but but don't 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 get me wrong. It, the the Devils, when it was four one, even three nothing, the they came out in the second period um, on fire, skating, buzzing, moving the puck. Uh, the Knights dodged a bunch of bullets. I, I think when it got to three three nothing, and then they answered four one, the the Devils instead of going away elevated their game, and I right. think maybe the Golden Knights just. I, you know, you're not obviously you're not time. you're not a pro athlete sitting on the bench going, okay, four one, this game's over, and then you consciously stop trying. Um, that's not how you get to be a professional athlete, and I'm not trying to say that, but some somewhere inside, 
when the Devils put their foot on the gas to push back, the Knights didn't have an extra gear to get to, uh, whatever the case may be. But it does follow, you know, four straight winning weeks. They went four and one on that that five five games in seven day hell week, and then they went two and one, and then they went two and one, and this week they go two and one, but a three and a week was on the table. And that second point causes them to fall back into the second wild card spot where they could have moved up into the top three in the Pacific division, which is actually surprising me. Um, it's a lot stronger division Everyone's than we're well. giving them credit for. Everybody's playing well. And right now the, the, the Oilers and the Knights hold the two wild card spots. I know we were saying that we can expect the central to take those two wild card spots. Well, I think the yeah. Pacific division is going to be reckoned with before the season's over. Um, Maybe uh, some some of the central aren't living up to expectations, but uh, Pacific Division making its presence felt in the playoff standings right now, and that extra point last night could come back to bite them. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned um, last night. Uh, obviously, we're talking about last night and blowing the four one lead, getting a, you know at least a point out of it, but uh, at least a bad taste in your mouth. But the, like you mentioned at the intro, uh, the bigger story being with Patch Ready and. You know, I get it. Switch, we've talked about this. He's switched cities and teams and this and adjustment. But uh, you've, I think, said it best. Like, you know, and he's had monster games, and then he's had games where he's been invisible. And almost, uh, and correct me for how you feel about it, it almost feels like from afar there's, I don't know, a little bit of a focus issue going on. I mean, no one's expecting yeah. anybody to go out and, you know, being able to, you know, put up two goals a night and all that. But, you know, you got to do the fundamentals. You got you got to you got to back check. You got to play small. I God, I sound like Barry Trotz. You got to play. You got to play that you know uh, winning hockey formula. Uh, so when those opportunities come, you can score goals. And I get it. Everyone has an off night here and there, but there's just been too many for him. It seems. And it's a guy who's been in the league for a number of years, and also, you know, not for nothing, it's but going to a team. Yeah, and going to a team that's got high expectations, which, you know, sounds funny because they're a second-year franchise, but you know, the Stanley Cup Finals last year, you you would expect a lot more. And like you said, the guy who's been a captain from someone with that kind of resume uh, leading in that you wouldn't – you would never think you would, the coach would have to give him a wake-up call in terms of being a healthy scratch. I mean, I mean, he's not going anywhere. He's on a four-year extension. When you look at his numbers, yeah. they're good, you know, but it's statistics goals assist things of that nature but it it, it is a bit puzzling well if you look at yesterday the early reports there's i i saw the video on twitter where somebody one of the reporters in the pregame scrum with with coach galan asked him is patch ready hurt and and galan said not that i know of um and then they asked uh you know who's scratched it whatever and coach said you'll know during pregame and then a press release was put out that that he was that Patch was out uh, with a slight injury that's been nagging him. Um, Jason Pothier over at Sinbin uh, posted something where he was talking with Patch a little bit. Uh, I think back on December fifth, if I remember the video correctly. I'm trying to give them the proper um, proper credit here, but where he he had tweaked something in the game and it wasn't serious, but um, you know, he's played a couple games since then, and maybe if it's a groin or or a hammy or something like that, then maybe he. Well, then why would the coach? Why would the coach? Co- co- I that's I have no idea. 
I, I'm I'm just that doesn't make uh, sense. Exactly. I would so say there's, like, there's mixed signals, yeah, that, sir. There's mis, mixed signals. Yeah, I mean, well, to me, if the coach the coach knows, I mean, he's not gonna. I mean, if someone's not playing because they need uh, a, a couple of days for maintenance and get healthy, you're not gonna say, "Oh no, he's healthy." When that's the case, I mean, he makes. He's not going to do that. I mean, <laughs> quite honestly, he's not going to do that. So maybe this this injury that this little nagging thing is something he can easily play with because guys play with stuff, those kind of things all year long. And instead of having to, you know, deal with the questions of why you're a healthy scratch, that's right. coming up to kind of eliminate those questions. That would make more sense to me. But he's, you know, he's. I mean, again, no one's asking him to score 50 goals. Uh, but he's got to get his his he- head on straight and uh, being able to be a consistent player in all phases of the game because, quite frankly, that's how the Vegas Golden Knights got to the Stanley Cup final last year. 100%. And it's odd, too, that the day that they scratch patches, Paul Stastny's first game back after two two and a half months or so uh, on the injury list with a lower body injury, and that was the duo that you know was was supposed to be paired up there for the second line. And kind of ironic it ends up with Lindbergh moving up playing that second line left wing position on Stastny's first game and I believe that excuse me that Stastny was hurt before Tuck came back from his preseason injury so I don't think that they've played a shift together as a line where you want to see Patch Reddy, Stastny and Tuck Eakin's done a fantastic you said last week unsung hero of the season I agree 100% that he stepped up and and played fantastic hockey Um, we debated back and forth a little bit about whether Stastny should come back into the third line center because Eakin was playing so well in order to get Stastny's feet wet again and so on and so forth Um, so last night um when you could have had that, that line together, if you wanted it, that's the night coach picks to sit patch down. Unless, unless there is an injury, um, when you could, you know, you, you, the, the plan all along was first staffing and patch to skate together. And you had the opportunity for the first time, 34 games into the season. And then you scratch the wing. Um, and then again, I wanted to get your, your thoughts. They did go right ahead and put staff up on the second line. He skated with Tuck and Lindbergh and, 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 uh, Eakin fell back in between, uh, uh, Carpenter and Nosek back into the third line role. Um, yeah, I know, I know you didn't see the game. I didn't see much. Um, I was, I was trying to watch Daphne, um, more than I was trying to, you know, pay attention to the, what Eakin was doing in the third line, so on and so forth. But, um, Oh, by the way, real quick, Harry had a fluke uh, goal. Yeah, I don't see much out of the uh, third line on the stat sheet. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, Carpenter, a quick, quick funny story, on Wednesday night I was at the game. I either sat uh, right right nearby his family or his fan club because there were like four or five people <laughs> walking r- right over to the next section and all had a Carpenter jersey on. And one of my friends who's a right? you know, casual hockey fan says, oh, well, is he a big player on Vegas? I go, I go, no, he's a role player. He's a good role player. So I go, that might be his family. Um, but uh, but anywho, yeah, I mean, look, Egan, Egan's role was supposed to be the third-line center. I get it. So it, it might be – but, you know, uh, Golan, obviously, big picture, wants to get Stasny back to where he belongs. Um, might take a little bit of time because, really, he's missed a lot of the season. 
and you know Eakin like is been one of their best players. So you know there might be you might lose a little bit over this uh, this next little block of games, but for the big picture, I totally get it. And you know now they they have today off. They have a back to back situation Sunday and Monday. Tomorrow they're at the tomorrow night they're at the Garden. Monday night they're in Columbus. To, uh, be interesting to see what Gallant does in terms of the goaltending. I mean, we all know who's been written in in almost every game and coming off that, you know, really uh, terrible loss last night in overtime. Does he go back to Flurry uh, uh, against the Rangers who blew a game themselves last night at home to Arizona? Or does he give Supon? You know, you, you know. To me, not playing Supon all this time and then throw him in in Columbus, yeah, that that seems fair. But um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see. And, and then they come home, I believe, at that point. Uh, so then they're home for a block of games um, leading into Christmas and right after Christmas. So uh, uh, ironically, they come home and play the Islanders next week, and they yeah. have the Islanders, Montreal, and LA before Christmas. Uh, so that they got they got some actually they'll they'll have a little R and R time a bit and then right after Christmas um, they're home to Colorado uh, before playing a uh, couple of games on the road before New Year's so um, any hoot so we'll be interested well to too see what they uh, do let's to get to the up. let's get to the Eric Holler report real quick um, uh, yep. George McPhee uh, acknowledged that there was surgery. Um, he he did say let, let me let me shout out the the Twitter feed at VGK girls or at VGK ladies sorry ladies um, they first reported a surgery on Hall's knee uh, November sixteenth um, so they they were all over it back then I, I I they took a lot of heat I saw on Twitter but they were the first ones reporting that Hall did have a surgery on his leg they they called the ACL but um, details are. are details whatever um but mcphee did uh say there was was surgery on the leg uh he called it an atypical hockey injury not something we're used to seeing in a hockey player whatever so there there was some sort of surgical procedure done on on holla and the the they say it could be up to three months which puts him back sometime in march maybe um maybe back for the playoffs so that you could pretty much say Hall is gone for the season. And that was first reported by at VGK ladies on Twitter. They run a golden Knights blog. And, and from what I could see, they were the first ones to report that that surgery. And we did follow that up on our next show and mention that as, as being a, a part of the rumor mill. Um, so yeah, they're going to have to go, uh, Carlson, Stastny, Eakin for the, the remainder of the season. And, and we'll see how that works for him. Yeah, and I, I read an article about it last night, George McPhee saying, well, you know, a lot of people thought it was his ACL, and, you know, that was wrong. It's not his ACL, and it's an unusual, you know, uh, injury. Some. And, um, you know, and, and I was reading the story, and I was like, and this is really not against George McPhee, but all general managers in sports now who hide injuries, and I say this yeah. as a huge fan of George McPhee. Not for nothing, but when you don't tell anybody what the hell is going on and they're trying to figure out what it is, just, you know, don't blame the, the messenger then that, like, it looks like it was an ACL. I mean, come out and tell everybody what's going on. I don't see what's there to gain by being, you know, by not getting the information out. If if he's not available to March, well, you know, yeah, he's then not you can, available that's to March. Exactly right. I, that's exactly so, right. If you've got a guy I, I, who's going to try and come back and play with something, 
Um, let's say he had a separated shoulder or a hyperextended elbow right. or, or something like that, and, and you just call it the upper body injury, and you don't want, and they're going to try and go next week. Then, then you don't want guys tapping on that with a stick all night, cross-checking right. and you know taking but liberties he, with him. But, but but if your guy's out till March, you could say, yeah, the leg. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. hurt anything. And, and, and it's not like he's going to come back Excuse unless that leg unless that leg's ready to go. So, like I said, we'll see how they bounce back against the Rangers, who are a very mediocre hockey team at best. They're they're kind of retooling, if you will. Um, well, speaking I mean, of blown been, three goal leads yesterday, the uh, yeah, yeah, just, they, just so the Knights weren't alone, there must have been something in the metropolitan area because the Rangers, Rangers went up three nothing on the Coyotes, blow that game, uh, lose that in overtime. Carolina also uh, has a four one lead and they blow that game and lose in overtime. So uh, third time's a charm with Vegas yesterday on the three goal four one leads, man. As I don't know what was going on, but. Yeah, before we um, – we're going to have Dan Harrigan on. I'll look forward to it in about five minutes or so. I want to yep. just jump on this, and you um, uh, do the mini around the NHL. A lot of – leading a lot of talk about the Flyers want to make a major move between now and the holiday freeze trade deadline. Kings as well. The 19th. Right, Kings as well, but the Flyers really want a goalie. And you hear Jonathan Quick, you know, name come up, and – yeah, this is from just someone from afar using an analytical uh, approach to things, and I'd like to get your how you feel about it. I mean, even though from an analytical perspective or, you know, thinking about tomorrow perspective, if you were the Kings general manager, you would say, hey, you know, uh, in the right setting, yeah, I'll trade Jonathan uh, quick because we're looking towards the the future, if you will. We have him, you know, signed up, and we could use this piece to get, you know, a lot in return. Having said that, it, anyone who's going to call the Kings, if that window is open at all, it's going to cost a pretty penny. So, unless, I mean, don't ex- if you're the Flyers and you say, oh, wow, you know, first of all, quickly, like, I don't know how many more years he's got to go in his contract. He's, got, he's locked up. I think he's at like a five, somewhere between a mid-five to five-eight cap number, which is a great cap number. Um, yeah. You're, you're, you know, it's going to cost. I mean, going to cost a, a pretty penny in terms of a package. I mean, just off the top of my head, if I was the Kings, um, I, I would have to get, I would want Carter Hart back, who's almost NHL ready, who's one of the top prospects in hockey, and I would want one of your young defensemen and one of your young forwards, and maybe one's on the NHL level, and one is knocking on the door. I mean, if you're not you know, so, and the other thing is, it's so hard to make those trades in season, we, and why we rarely see them, so I'm I kind of have a, uh, a raised eyebrow, like people thinking like this kind of trade is going to happen. But who knows? Maybe the Kings are in that place, and maybe the Flyers, who fired Ron Hextall because they didn't want to be patient anymore and they wanted to make a big move. I mean, right? So maybe they're yeah. they're motiv- they're willing to do that. I, I don't know. But uh, would the Kings uh, entertain if if the Flyers came up with the goods in some kind of package, like I just mentioned, or you even mentioned uh, over the texted me last night of, you know, hey, you know, give, give us Pro Bowl from Konecki. Okay. Call it um, good. We can do that trade. We can call it, We could do a trade like that. So, I mean, you think the Kings would be open to such a thing? Yeah, I do. I think um, – Okay. Look, the, now if you're a buyer there, you're, you're looking at this season, and he has not had a good year. He, he missed time with injury, came back too soon – 
went back on the DL and hasn't really found his way. Um, so you're going to try and take it off of that. I, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter going that that uh, 30-year goalies with, with bad groins aren't going to even fetch a first-round draft pick. And then if you go back to last year's playoff, yeah, yeah the, oh. the Knights the Knights swept the Kings. Okay, that's the closest was, sweep in NHL history. And Jonathan Quick was fantastic in that series. Some oh. of the best hockey I've seen him play in, in, in two or three two or three seasons for sure. So if you're going to be selling, you're gonna be showing highlight tapes of that playoff series, right? If you're going to be buying, you're gonna be showing pictures of him up in the press box this year watching the games with an injury. So I don't know what the value is. And like I said, Proveroff and Konecki will seal the deal. That's two young players. They're, they bring speed. They bring skill. That's the direction the Kings want to go. If you want Cal Peterson or, uh, you know, one of, one of the young guys to, to, to get you a stopgap until you can get another franchise goalie in, the Kings have a history of developing quality NHL goaltenders. Um, so they should be able to do something with that. I don't know what the value would be. But, but I guess only Rob Blake would know that. But the other interesting thing, um, I saw yesterday, and I thought it was from LeBron, or, or for sure I thought it was a, a credible tweet when I saw it, and, and I wish I remembered who it was so I could give him proper credit. You could throw Dowdy into the trade talks as well if they really? were to get the right Even package for, for Dowdy. Yeah. Um, then – I, I, the the rumblings are that Dowdy would be uh, available as well. Now, mm. I, I saw, I, I think it was on Hockey Buzz, so take it for what it's worth. But they said that uh, the Isles or the Red Wings would possibly be in the market to grab a Drew Dowdy. Now, if you want to look at the Carlson deal and kind of project – what Dowdy would be worth. You have to remember Dowdy has an eight year deal and Carlson was on a, you know, one year eight left. Year on deal, a... Yeah. He's brand new, brand new eight year deal, $11 million possibly, you know, top three defensemen in the league. Now, if, if they're talking with Lou Lamarillo and they want to get into uh Wallstrom or Dobson or, or uh, some of your young guns, where do you go as far as that to get to, uh, to Dowdy? Yeah, that's um, that's uh, that would be interesting. His eight-year deal doesn't kick out, kick in until next year, by the way. Right, and, so you uh, get an eight and a half years. Yeah, I mean, and it's eleven million dollar number, and probably that second half of the deal. Uh, that that one, I I I, I could see Quick making more sense because they can get a lot back. Not that they couldn't get things back for Dowdy, but believe it or not, I think because of that. Current price, uh, current cap number. They're only going to get probably so. They wouldn't get. They would get so much more for quick, and that's what they're trying to do, right? If they were going to go in that round, they're not looking at quote unquote shed salary or or things of that. Or just you know get rid of all the veterans. They're trying to you know gain young talent to build around move, moving forward. What's the best approach and way of doing that? And you know the Flyers are a great fit from the standpoint of uh, they have the. Uh, they have uh, young players both on their roster and literally knocking on the door that are really talented. And, excuse me, the reality is if they're getting Jonathan Quick, 
what the heck, and they didn't trade Carter Hart, I mean, you know, Carter Hart's going to be blocked. So, I mean, there's a reason they would be trading for Quick. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't uh, I, that one I, I have a skeptical eye about. Yeah, I mean, rumors are rumors, but it is, it is interesting. I, I, you know, the trade freeze is coming up for the uh, Christmas, the the Christmas holidays. I think it starts next Wednesday, so we might be seeing some kind of moves here. I think it's the nineteenth. Is it the nineteenth? Yeah. Yeah, Wednesday. So we could be looking at something over the weekend, maybe. I'd have to look at the schedules or whatever to see when it would be appropriate but there has been king scouts at flyers games and flyer scouts at king's games and so on and so forth so um maybe they're just putting two and two together for that um what else do we got on tap here while we wait for dan harrigan to join us here on the vegas hockey podcast yeah i'm I'm texting dan as we speak here he he misplaced the number so just bear with me uh Well, there's a few other, uh, few other trade rumors Hit out it. there right now. You've got, uh, well, let let's say this: there's there's some nonsense that uh, Dowdy to Toronto. Since the Dowdy rumors are out there, we could follow up on that. Where if they would trade Nylander back, that's seven million dollars in salary, right? So then you have to th- throw in a player that's on a, a four million dollar salary maybe a forward um yeah i don't i mean and then a couple of picks and then it does fit under the salary if you can move the 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 11 million dollars back the other way and nylander would be the major piece going back the other way in that deal but if you're trying to trade yeah if you're trying to trade nylander to lower your salary cap hit you're not going to take an $11 million salary back, are you? I mean, who knows what they're doing in Toronto? They said it would be no problem to sign all three players, Matthews, Marner, and Nylander, and it took till December, or to, you know, November 30th at 545 or whatever it was local time before they could get Nylander in the fold. So it, that does not make sense to me, but that is something that's out there. Yeah, I don't, I don't foresee uh... – I don't think adding another $11 million player with their cap and their cap situation, even though it's Drew Doughty, uh, and even if you were not worried about the back end of that contract, I don't think that's the that, – that's the, and even though it's on the blue line, I, I don't think that's the – I don't think they can make that work. No, I, I agree. Long it's term. Just, uh... Long term. Maybe they can make it work for a year or two. <coughs> for a year or two. Hey, maybe that's it. Maybe you do it for a year or two and and go for the cup. I mean, uh, Dowdy on that team in that offense would be a Dowdy that you've never seen before. Uh, You know, playing for 10 years of his career under Coach Sutter with um, the restrictions that were placed on on Dowdy and his game being what they were. Um, If you you could turn him loose, boy, you – the NHL would really see how good he really is because he's been under lock and key for eight years. Yeah, like, like I said, it'll be interesting to to follow. But I, I, that one with that kind of with that contract makes it very complicated. Yeah, well, let's bring in Dan. Uh, you guys can follow. He's Tampa Lightning Insider Dan Harrigan. Follow him on Twitter at Dan Harrigan, H E R R E J O N. Dan, welcome back to the show, sir. Good to talk to you. Hey, good to be on with you guys. Thanks for having me. 
It's always good to have you back on the show, sir, anytime you want. So we brought you in today. I know you're the Tampa Bay Lightning guy, so let's start right at the top, not just of the Atlantic Division. We'll get to the rest of that in a little bit. But um, let's start at the top of the NHL with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, we saw Vasilevsky come back, and there was, to me, in my mind, there wasn't any question of, of the injury anymore. He looked fantastic, and as if Tampa Bay needed to add a Vezina quality goaltender to the roster this year to get even better. Um, what say you on the Tampa Bay lighting? I mean, there's not, there's not really much uh, you could nitpick at at this point in the season. No, not really. I mean, uh, uh, they certainly have an awful lot of depth probably the, the level uh, that most teams would like to get. They roll out four lines. Thank you, Stevie basis. Y. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, like you said, getting Vasilevsky back is, uh, you know, it, it, it can be uh, something good for the rest of the team to give them confidence. The only thing I really think that they need to con- be concerned about would be especially as we get closer and closer to the postseason, would be an injury, a long-term injury that some other teams in the division are, are dealing with. But uh, I think really that, that might be to a key, if it's an injury to a key player, that might be something that, that can impact their season. Well, not only being able to roll the four lines, but the defense core that, that Stevie Y put together um, – you know, he, he got Sergachev from Montreal. He, he traded for, you know, he brought Girardi and traded for McDonough, you know, drafted Hedman, uh, Braden Coburn. It, it would be a, you know, two, three, three, four defensemen on a lot of teams in the National Hockey League. Um, the defense core is is been standing on its head just as well as being able to roll that four-line machine. Um Talk, talk a little bit about the, the defense and, and how those pairings are working, especially in front of uh, playing in front of a backup goalie for most of the year. Sure. And, you know, uh, in the 15 games that uh, Vasilevsky missed, uh, Louis Domingue won 12 games, but it was certainly, like you said, uh, had a lot to do with the uh, uh, defensive pairings in front of him. You know, uh, we have the, uh, in Victor Hedman, you're talking about the uh, reigning Norris trophy champion uh you're right the moves the trades the deals that brought in uh Sergachev and McDonough uh, along with the free agent signings don't forget Anton Strahlman's missed about three and a half weeks now he went down shortly after uh, Vasilevsky did uh, right. with the notor- with the notorious uh lower body injury and and uh and we still don't know yet when he they keep saying he's getting closer and closer, but uh, a kid that stepped up from Syracuse uh, that was a throw-in in the Ben Bishop trade when when Iserman traded Bishop to L.A. two seasons ago, uh, Eric Chernak uh, has been brought up from Syracuse. They've paired him up with Ryan McDonough. He's a right-handed shot, and the only thing this kid hasn't done is score a goal, but he he usually uh, is leading the defensive core in hits. Uh, he he steps in front of shots, uh, and you know I, I'll tell you, looking at the 
the video of the uh, Toronto game a couple of times since since Thursday when, when the game took place, Eric Chernak really did a number on Austin Matthews, not allowing him because Austin Matthews loves to shoot from that from that uh, right side and and Chernak was there in his face most of the game. Uh, I don't think it was it was talked about a lot post game, but uh, this kid and in fact. It, when Strawman does come back, it looks like this kid Chernick is going to go back down to Syracuse where he can get top pairing minutes to be ready. But uh, I'm of the mindset that this kid's already earned a, a spot here with uh, on the Tampa roster. All right. Um, plus, a, I'm looking at his stats right now. Uh, he's been in 16 games, five assists. Uh, plus eight, which is which is pretty. You know, when you're when you're on the Lightning, you get maybe a, the plus minus stat is a little bit skewed based on the offense you're playing with. But still, in 16 sure. games to rack up a plus eight is 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 pretty respectable for sure. Um, so, so best team in the league so far. Uh, I think most well rounded. Uh, Coach Cooper. I'm a bit. I, I've been a big fan of Cooper's for for a long time. Um, I, I love, you know, you, you could go back to his first couple of years with Tampa as part of the, you know, everyone says the new wave of the National Hockey League where your, your skill and speed and that he, he gave uh, Brennan Connolly a shot as an undersized player. There's a lot of forwards right. in, in that on that roster right now that are what not typical six foot 205 type forwards yep. that are con- contributing. And I think a lot of that is Coach Cooper. And, and the way the league is going towards speed and skill, I, I think, you know, not too many people give him the credit I think he deserves in ushering it, you know, being one of the, the people that usher in that style of game and show that it can be successful going to the Stanley Cup finals there against Chicago. Um, so, you know, enough, enough said on Tampa. I know that I know that's your hometown, but um, hometown team there. But uh, let's let's look at another facet of of the division um buffalo sabers what what have you have you guys seen buffalo yet this season i think you have oh yeah we, and uh, and they, you know they went on their 10 game win streak and then they lost five in a row but all, all 10 of those games i think except maybe one were one goal games so it's not surprising too much that that it flips off the other way real quick but are are they as good as 10 in a row, which I don't think they are, but I don't think they're as bad as, as losing the five in a row either. Um, can this team can step up and grab a wild card or even hold on and take third in the division? Well, you know, uh, if you think back to the preview show that you guys had me on for, sure. I said Buffalo, I said Buffalo that might make a run at a playoff spot. I, yeah, said, I think they're too they're too young yet. See, you know, you you look at the ten. The, first of all, any team that could rattle off ten wins in a row, you got to do something. To them. Absolutely, exactly. And and you know what? A lot of those were one goal games. If you look at their overall goal differential, I think it's five or six right now for right. for thirty thirty plus games. You know what? That means that they're close games. So. For a young team, 
you have to say, wow, they're, they're learning how to win some tight games. Come postseason, that, that can help a team. By the same token, that five, the current five-game losing streak, uh, it, it's, the, it's the reverse. Uh, it's the other side of that coin, that they're a young team and maybe they're still trying to figure out how to win those close games in the third period. But I think this is a, clearly this is an up-and-coming team. You know, you, you have to love the new faces like Skinner and, and, and Connor Sherry uh, added to, to some talent that uh, in Eichel and, and, and Reinhardt that they already had. So I think that it depends. A lot depends is going to depend on Boston because in my preview, I, I thought the Lightning were going to be in first and, with, and Toronto, they were going to fight for the divisional crown. But, but, I thought for sure Boston was a, the number three team, but I did say that, that I think Buffalo's going to give them a run for their money. It depends for the rest of the season how those injuries uh, that Boston's dealing with, how that is, is you know, how that's going to shake out, and will it uh, allow Boston to catch up to, to Buffalo, or can, can the Sabres hold them off? Uh, it depends how quickly this the young team in Buffalo is going to learn how to win big games. Well, uh, one of the big big things, and I maybe uh, overshadowed by Ryan O'Reilly and, and the group that went back the other way was them getting Carter Hutton. And I think if Carter Hutton was still with St. Louis, um, they would be having a much better season right now because Carter Hutton <laughs> had, a, had a really good season last year. And maybe undervalued him, um, and and that I think that has his steadiness in net has probably given the young guys uh, a lot more confidence in those tight games to just keep playing their brand of hockey, and you know the you know the old saying, uh, playing not to lose is different than playing to win. And I think having a, a backstop like Carter Hutton's really helped that team just continue playing to win. Story on the Buffalo Sabres breaking this morning, Patrick Berglund suspended indefinitely for failure to report to the team. Um, he's only got two goals and two assists. He's averaging 11 minutes of ice time, so I don't know what led into that. And I'm not sure how that impacts them. But you know what? Next man up, um, you, could, you could give another spot to another young kid fill in that role with 11 minutes. Someone gets a call up, someone gets an opportunity. Maybe they produce a little bit more than Patrick Berglund has. Um, interesting to see how that story plays out, but I, I don't see that being a big impact against them on the ice uh, so far this season. Well, let me bring in Chris. So Chris has a couple of teams to throw about with you, sir. All right, Dan. Great to, hey, Dan, great to have you back. Um, so Boston and Toronto, I look at those two teams Boston. and, you know, and while Boston's a little bit lower than probably one would expect, when you when you look at their all the injuries they they currently they've had and they currently have on the on the uh, on the uh, injured list, especially on the blue line, I would say they have to be pretty happy given those injuries, where their record is that they're only at something around three or four points uh, behind Buffalo and maybe a couple more behind Toronto from that. But I look at these two teams, and they're, they're similar to me in this way, that they're both, real, when fully healthy, they're both really good teams, who both of which have high playoff aspirations. 
But having said that, there's, I, I would give both teams very little chance of beating a Tampa or beating a Washington come playoff time currently constituted. That both teams need to make a move to get on, I don't want to say the same level as Tampa and Washington, but to be able to be in a position to beat them. Uh, and I'm just curious, do you feel that way? And is it ironic that Boston is probably a second-line scoring winger away, at least, and Toronto is probably at least the second-pairing defenseman away, uh, at least, uh, in regards to that? Well, you know, it's interesting that you, you compare the, the the Bruins with the Maple Leafs. Uh, I think that that in the division, certainly last year, but I think it carried over into this year that those two teams are probably a lot more similar than either of those teams are with Tampa. Now, the thing about Boston that I think people would be making a mistake is overlooking the veteran leadership that they have on this team. Yes, they have dealt with probably uh, other than Florida, they've dealt with more injuries this season and are currently dealing with some injuries to some key players, including Bergeron. Uh, They still, I still think, you know, they're closing the gap between Buffalo and themselves and considering the fact, and that's to me, that's the veteran savvy of this, of this, uh, of this team. I, I think you can't, you can't count them out just because of that. And, and, in addition to that, I think Boston, of all the teams in, in the division, they always seem to want to make a deal at the trade deadline. Tampa has from time to time. Toronto has. Every other team has. But Boston never seems uh, shy to pull the trigger on a deal that they think can help them uh, come come the deadline. And I anticipate well, they that they will. I'm sorry. I was going to say they traded their first-round pick last year. Nash, who was a pending free agent, so they probably knew that was a rental. So to to, to back up your point, right? Exactly, and and I would see it depends on on you know especially the injury to Bergeron when he will be coming back. But I, I can certainly see Boston making a, a deal that they think is going to help them for this season. Uh, I I absolutely believe that every every man in that locker room wants at least that third spot, if not fighting for that number two spot in the division. Before I hand you back off to Mark, he's got a couple more teams, and then I'll I'll finish up with you with a couple teams as well. So from a Toronto perspective, if you're the coach, you're the general manager of Toronto, Dan, and, you know, you have those meetings and you say, uh, you know, can you expect to have a long playoff run? with that blue line currently constituted? I mean, do you feel that way if you were uh, in charge of the Maple Leafs? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I don't know if you had an opportunity to see the Tampa-Toronto game from Thursday. The good news for Toronto is they dominated play for easily 45 of the 60 minutes. To the number against the number one team in the league, the bad news for them is they lost four to one. Now, That's amazing. It, about they, I mean, well, the the shot, you know, and and listen, uh, you know, part of it is puck luck too. 
Toronto hit four or five posts. So they were, and they certainly were getting their shots in on Vasilevsky, who was, who should have been a little bit more rusty than he showed. But at the same time, I, I think that Mike Babcock is certainly telling that team, listen, we took it to the number one team in the league. So, uh, you know, I agree with you. You know, we know that come postseason, the, the, the games get a little tighter and defense tends to be uh, a lot more important than it is in a game in, in early December. So, so I, I definitely see your point. I would think that Toronto is going to be looking to make a deal to shore up that defensive core uh, just a little bit uh, bef- before the playoffs come. So I would agree that I think if, you, if you're looking at the comparison between Boston and Toronto, I think you certainly have to give Boston the leg up on, on, on comparing the, the, the blue liners against Toronto. But, but Toronto's offense is, is just crazy good. Uh, and, and as I said, they dominated the play uh, against Tampa on Thursday. They just, you know, came out on the short end uh, at the end of the, at the end of regulation. All right. We're talking with Dan Harrigan on the Vegas hockey podcast. You can follow him on Twitter. He's a contributing writer to the lightning insider and he does weekly spots on lightning radio and power play show uh, with his co-host, Greg Linelli. And he is on Twitter at Dan Harrigan, H-E-R-R-E-J-O-N. Um, Chris stuck me with Detroit and Montreal. I think Montreal is, is, is over their heads right now, I think. Or, I mean, Tatar's done a good job go, going up there. Uh, Weber's come back from injury and had some nice contributions. Carey Price is, is looking – Carey Price-like, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And De- Detroit also um, – at least right now, probably playing above where they thought they would be. Can either either of these teams do a wild card run? Um, and if if so, which team do you think would be more likely to go on a, a consistent run here the rest of the season? You know, before before Mike Green went down with the injury, I probably would have said Detroit was probably yeah. more likely of the two. But with that injury. I just think it'd be very difficult for, for Detroit. You know, he was missing early in the season when Detroit was struggling bad. And when he came back, he sort of seemed to be the, the glue a little bit that, that, that helped them win some of the games that they, they, that they were losing earlier in the season. But right. I'm going down, uh, I, think, I just think that that takes Detroit out. Uh, of making a a successful playoff run. Now Montreal started off so surprisingly well at at the beginning of the season, and I agree with you. I think Carey Price is looking every bit as good as Carey Price has looked over the last three or four years, three or four seasons. Uh, but my question for Montreal is, what are they going to do to improve their special teams? Their power play is is for some of the offense that they've showed five on five, it's invisible on the, with the man advantage. Conversely, their, their, uh, their penalty kill is also uh, leaving a lot to be desired. 
So I think if those don't get shored up, then I think that they're going to struggle to make to make a successful run for the playoffs. But they certainly, you know, the only good thing that they have going for them perhaps is the Metropolitan Division is struggling perhaps even more than they are. So it could be that the two wild cards come out of the Atlantic. If that happens, as it appears that it will uh, at this point, then Montreal has a, has a better chance. Well, Chris's Islanders might have some to say about it before all is said and done. But I will, I will say, now, now that Weber is back, um, having a hundred mile an hour slap shot on the blue line for the power play that might help. Uh, that might help the power play a little bit if he if he can come back and quarterback that power play. Um, just having him back there that has to open things mm-hmm. up a little bit, a little bit for them. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, they did, you know, Tatar's having a nice season. I got a little friendly bet. Domi. Uh, 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 Max Domi yeah, has Domi. come on, and he's, he's moved to center, and, he, and he's proven that he can play center in the National Hockey League, uh, having a, a resurgence uh, with that. So those, those two additions have really paid dividends. Um, Drouin is finally starting to come around and have some nice contributions. So Montreal, if, if, if they can just be consistent, like you said, on the special teams, um, and Carey Price can continue to play and stays healthy. I, I'd agree with you that, that Montreal does have a good shot at, at making a run towards that eighth seed in, in the East there. Um, Chris, what else have we got before we have to let Dan go? Yeah, I just got two quick hits. So let's Florida and Ottawa. So let's start with Florida first, Dan. You know this team well being down in, this, uh, in Florida. Uh, it just always seems, ever since the, a couple of years ago now, I guess it's three years ago, is that right, where they won the division, since then they mm-hmm. seem to be a team that's, like, stuck in the mud. I mean, you look at their roster. I know they've had injuries, but everyone gets injuries. Uh, but they have a lot of talent, and not that, not that their record is as bad as the team, let's say, like St. Louis or, sorry, Mark, L.A., but, you know, they're, hey. they, they should be a lot – they should be a lot better than a 500 record. Am I overrating their talent, or, or am I Real being quick, unfair Chris, to them? You, yeah. I'll tell you what's wrong with Florida. They have the Gerard Gallant jinx. You don't put your freaking coach who just gave you a 34-point increase from the season before, Jack Adams finalist, um, trade away four-sixths of his defense in the offseason and then put him in a cab on the road when you're 12 and 13. That's what the problem is right there. They don't know who they are, and they don't know where they want to go. That team is too talented to be where they are, but if they don't have an identity and they don't have leadership, that's what happens when you're the Florida Panthers. Sorry, I had to go on the rant. You have a Gerard Gallant curse in Florida, and until they they go back to that arena, and uh, I don't know how you undo that kind of a curse, but it's like the curse of the Bambino now. They're going to be stuck for a while until they figure out who they are. You know, and I, I got to tell you, I don't disagree with you when people ask me why I thought Vegas in, a, in an expansion year would do as well as they did. I said Gallant was the reason. I, I thought he, when they won, when the Panthers won the Atlantic Division, I thought it was because they they just started, they began to believe and follow in, in Gallant. And I, yep. I think he, he had a lot to do with Vegas' success last year. And I don't know about – I think this team is certainly stink bit. 
You know, they, they missed the postseason last year by one point. And, and I thought that if they could stay healthy, especially Luongo, that they could make a run for a playoff because I do believe that they have an awful lot of talent. But I'll tell you, I, Chris, I think that, the, that I know you said that every team gets injured, but I'll tell you, Vinny Trocek is, uh. is the glue in that, in that lineup. And I think his injury, it would be similar to, let's say, a Steven Stamkos on Tampa, maybe a Mitch Marner in Toronto. He's, you know, he's that guy who's leading the offense. And and I think yep. that that you just can't minimize. I mean, sure, every team does experience injuries, but but it, it, sometimes it depends which player. And he's he's the straw I think that stirs that drink. And him going down, they it adds to the confusion and the loss uh, that that they're experiencing. Yeah. By the same token, though, we've seen we've seen the Lightning overcome. Stamkos with a broken leg, missing three months of the Olympics, and still go either the Eastern Conference Final or the Stanley Cup Finals that season, right? So the, to Chris's oh, point, well, okay, you got you got to bring the next man up and keep plowing ahead. Now look at look but at Boston we, right now. We we talked about with Bergeron being out for a while. You know, with with uh, arguably one of the best, if not the best, two way player in the league, one of the best two way players in the league. It seems like at one point they had I don't know four two-thirds of their defense starting defensemen injured. And I'm not saying they're lighting the world on fire, but they're, they got a positive record. And I get I hear what you're saying about Trocek. He's a tremendous player. But, you know, they got Barkov. They got Huberto. They got Ekblad. They, they added Hoffman. They, you know, they, I mean, I don't, yeah. I'm not, you know, they got, they got people on that team. I mean, so I just feel like a 500 record for that squad. I mean, let's put it this way. If, and I, I was going to get to my last point with Ottawa to, to set it up this way. If you look at the rosters of Ottawa and the Islanders, who everyone going to the season for the Eastern Conference predicted gloom and doom, surefire, you know, lottery teams, the only excitement will come in April when the ping pong balls bounce around. And, you know, that might very well wind up being. But, you know, for for you look at those two rosters and compare them to Florida, and for the Islanders to have, a, you know, a little bit of a better record. I know it's a different division, but a little bit of better record. And, and for Ottawa to be just below, uh, you know, I think they were a game under where Florida's 500 or somewhere right around there. Uh, that's where I just, uh, you know, I raise my hand and say, what the heck is going on in Florida? Well, and, and to, to add to it is, you know, I think the, the point Mark made about Gallant, it's it, when you look at the attendance, in Florida, they're not selling this team well. I think from I think it's the 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 executive management, the front office management, uh, the the coaching, and and even the leadership on the team. I think that's what's missing. They're I agree. In this organization, and it's an organization issue. And you know you 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 said you brought up Tampa and Boston, but those teams have depth. They have depth in their org throughout the organization. So when they say next man up, you have some competency there. You know, it, it, one of the reasons that Tampa has had some of the success 
is th- they play the same style in Syracuse that they do here in Tampa, the John Cooper style. Yeah. That's key. To be honest I with agree. you, I don't know if, if Florida does that or not. Some teams don't. And so when the, when the kid is brought up to replace a, an injured player, he's lost. And, and if there isn't the, the leadership around the organization, that kid's going to be lost until he tries until point. he figures it all out himself. That's a great point. When uh, Dean Lombardi took over for the Kings, he went to Manchester and, and, you know, when Sutter came on board uh, and with coach Murray as well, but mostly when, when Sutter came on board, they, they went to Manchester and laid out how they wanted to train the young kids. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the consistency that you saw with the the, you know, not lately, obviously, but as the, the, the younger guys, when they brought up, um, let's say when Dwight King came up or Jordan Nolan came mm-hmm. up or some of those players came up, when you plug them into the lineup, they were playing Kings hockey. They weren't playing Manchester Monarch hockey. hockey. So that, I, I saw that develop from watching kids come up that didn't have a clue what to do on the ice with the Kings for 20 years. And then when they made that change to institute the same systems in Manchester as they did in LA, um, and the difference mm-hmm. that the, the young guys would come up and sort of fit right in. Um, that's a great point you make about Tampa and the way that their depth is able to roll into that lineup when they do suffer injuries, even to players like Stamkos. Right. But to, to go back to what Chris was saying, I agree. I, I'm, I'm disappointed that Florida is not, doesn't have a better record than they have so far. You know, but but because yes, they've had injuries, but like we said, every team has that. But I think that's that that's a bigger problem for that franchise than it is for others. And Dan, just to finish up, Ottawa. Uh, to me, they've uh, they've overachieved. Although, like I said, they they're not going to you know they're not going to be in the run for the playoffs. They'd be shocked. Uh, they've overachieved to have. You know, I think they're a game under five hundred. Uh, memory serves correct. But to me, it's all about them with their pending two big uh, unrestricted free agents and Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne. You know, believe it or not, guys, New Year's uh, Day 2019 is just two weeks away, uh, give or take. So, I mean, Dan, where do we stand with those two guys? I mean, do you think Ottawa has a realistic chance to sign one of them? Uh, I mean, both of them, one of them. Um, and if they're not signed or if they don't feel like they're on the goal line of getting a contract done at, at by mid-January, which is only a month away, um, you know, you got to do your due diligence. It takes time to that. I mean, obviously, uh, the, it would definitely uh, uh, get people excited about the trade deadline when you're talking about trading people of that ilk. Oh, sure. And And I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't cross out that possibility yet because – to be honest with you, I don't think anyone knows what what is what what next season is going to look like for Ottawa. You know, they, right. they certainly have question marks uh, from the top down. You know, from ownership down, and and I think you know, in hindsight, I think the Uber incident probably helped this team, the players anyway, come together and play get a little more cohesiveness. Uh, on the ice, they have they have definitely played better. You know, take a kid like Duchesne, who has so much talent, but at the same time, you know, he got caught in that 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 Uber incident. You know, just uh, not not 
not singing the, the, the company line. And, and I think he's trying to prove that, trying to put that all behind him and trying to prove that he wants to stay uh, in Ottawa. Now, whether that's going to happen or not, you know, I think Mark, I think Stone is definitely, you know, that's, I think that's the, the, the guy that the, this organization is going to build the team team around, you know, but to be honest with you, they don't seem to have the depth in the organization. You know, obviously they've had a lot to rush a lot of guys in onto the, to the big club over the last couple of seasons. And, 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 you know, sometimes that trial by fire takes a little longer for those, those players to mature enough to, to see what they truly can do on an NHL level. Um, but I think you're right. I think one or or uh, one of those two guys is going to be uh, tra- certainly trade bait, and certainly you know uh, I think Ottawa's the rumor mills come trade deadline are going to you know there's they're going to have a home in Ottawa. One thing about that too, and I and I agree with you about the the Uber incident being a galvanizing force, and and uh, us against them mentality, us against the world. Um, but I think I think it's more than just that. I think if you go back over the last eighteen months with this franchise, you've seen almost you know public feuding between the GM and the ownership. Uh, about what what they were going to do with Carlson, not getting the Carlson thing done, uh, having mm-hmm. to move you know top three defensemen in the National Hockey League. Although I will say Thomas Shabbat uh, set a defense record for Ottawa with most four uh, through thirty three games in a season for whatever that's worth. But then you have are are they going to sell the team? Is the team moving? Um, it's been, and then, uh, you know, you get into the ugliness between Carlson's girlfriend and Hoffman and having to move out a player like Hoffman, uh, mm-hmm. the, the players that are left there, you, you know, you you could look at it and it could go both ways, right? You, you know, they could go in the tank and you know what, check out kind of what Ryan O'Reilly said he did with Buffalo last year, which is like, you know, some nights I didn't even want to come to the arena. You just get so used to losing that just becomes acceptable. And, you know, what led to his departure from Buffalo and you could, mm-hmm. you could take that route. But I think this Ottawa Senators team uh, kind of rallied around each other. It'll be interesting to see if they do keep that group together because they are playing better hockey this year than a lot of people thought they would and, and much better than they did last year. Uh, and I think everybody, myself included, we all thought Ottawa was going to be lucky to get to 60 points for the season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, we thought they were going to bring up the rear. There was no doubt. Uh, you know, they also have a hard-nosed coach in, in Guy Boucher. That, that guy, yeah. he, you know, he doesn't he doesn't look at the standings. He doesn't look at the record. He wants to go out and, and win every single game. So hopefully that that's helping. I, I I would agree with you. I mean I I think Shabbat's been a very very good surprise for for that organization, and 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 let's see if they can you know like you said galvanize a little more to 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 win some of these games to 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 help the franchise. But until those question marks in the front office and with ownership are answered, I, I think this is going to be a team in flux. 
Yeah, that's a good point. But like you said, the preseason prognostications, if I can use that many syllables, um, if you'd have had Ottawa in front of L.A., Chicago, Philly, New Jersey after an MVP campaign by Taylor Hall and what they did last year, St. Louis, who a lot of people thought might challenge for the Central Division title, and if you Mm -hmm. said – that Ottawa was going to be well in hand on those teams before the start of the season. They might have been asking what that guy was smoking. Um, but so exactly. credit, credit to Ottawa, credit to Ottawa. We'll see, you know, they, they got maybe enough, just enough. You weren't going to win the Carlson trade um, because he, you know, they, they had all the leverage. He wasn't going to sign there and he was going to be a free agent. So they had to take kind of what right. they could get in San Jose, put together a decent package and they got some pieces and mm-hmm. some picks that'll, come together um for ottawa and you know they still have picks from the duchene deal um mm-hmm. so you know they, they could be in a couple of years depending on what they do and what they pick up at the trade deadline as far as assets and picks goes you know they could be building a nice little future uh, let's say post carlson um post hoffman type roster there in a, in a couple three years i don't think it's all dark in ottawa i think um I think that future might be brighter than a lot of people think. Yeah, uh, you know, I didn't even mention Kachuk, who yeah, how about that whole that? family just that whole family knows how to play hockey. They're hard. How about they, it? You know, they they two hundred foot players. They give it their all. They leave nothing on the ice every single game, and, and and this kid's no different. So yeah, you're right. They could be. You know, it depends on what happens over the next couple seasons with the entire organization. But but certainly this is, you know, they're playing well above what many of us thought was going to was going to happen this season. Well, all right, Dan, thanks for coming in. We're going to be out of time here. So we always appreciate having you on the show, man. You're you're uh, knee deep in it in Tampa and the Atlantic Division. So, uh, you know, every time we need to get check in over there, you know, you're our go to guy. We appreciate you coming in, sir. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. Take care and uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks, Enjoy the Dan, holiday. Same to you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That's Dan Harrigan on the Vegas Hockey Podcast. <coughs> Excuse me. He's all over it in the Atlantic and the Tampa Bay Lightning organization. Follow him on Twitter. <coughs> Excuse me. At Dan Harrigan, H-E-R-R-E-J-O-N. One thing first before we get to the OT segment, Chris, I did want to give a shout-out. Uh, I wanted to start the show with this, but uh, Faith Lutheran High School, my daughter's high school, um, mm-hmm. played the first high school hockey game in Las Vegas history uh, earlier wow. last month. They were on the road in Utah and had a 4 nothing win against Utah Select. And then they had another road game uh, tied up 2-2. And, you know, new program, but last night at the, their home, their home ice rink is at the Vegas Golden Knights practice facility. So, you, you know, it's a private school. So donations are welcome. (laughs) Their uniforms look super sharp. Let's put it that way. Uh, But so the first home hockey playoff game in Las Vegas history was won by the faith Lutheran crusaders last night, four to nothing. So shout shout out to the crusaders. And uh, obviously the golden Knights continue their involvement in uh, growing the game of hockey here in Las Vegas. But now, 
Uh, let's get to the OT. We're going to, the reports came out of the general managers meeting that there's a, a growing number of general managers looking to expand the playoffs. Gary Bedman's kind of poo pooed that a little bit saying maybe one or two are talking about it. The other sources saying it, it, it might even, if it were to go to a vote, they may actually pass that vote. If it were to happen, um, kind of lay out the scenarios that, because you brought this to my attention, Chris, it was under my radar, but uh, lay out the new scenario, if you will, and uh, give me your take on it. So basically they, they would have the same system from the terms of you finish in the top three in, in your division, you get the automatic playoff berth. So, you know, for each conference, that's six teams right there. So then what they would do is they would have four wild card teams. So teams that finished in the conference after the top three in each division, seven, eight, nine, and 10. And what they would do is they would have a kind of like what baseball does with the wild card uh, from the playoff standpoint, they would have a one game elimination game uh, uh, scenario where the team with the better record would get the home ice. Um, and, and then the two winners would become the first wild card or the second wild card, depending upon the seating. So when the, when the playoff rounds begin, we would, we would be at eight teams. So you would have these 10 teams, you know, you, these four extra teams play a one and done scenario the two winners then join the first playoff round, if you will. For four, 48 hours, it would be tremendous. Like for those two days, both in the East and the West, so basically we'd get four playoff games, four elimination games, four game sevens, if you will. Uh, and quite frankly, in terms of the talent of the teams, I'm going to go on a limb on most years, uh, teams that finish between seven and ten, are probably pretty close to each other, okay? Um, so it would it would also be terrific for hockey in terms of the coverage for those couple of days uh, for those for those series. You could do, you know, have it a, over a two night block, right? You could have uh, an early and a late game one night, and an early late game the next night. Here's why. Here's the horrible part of it. Everyone knows how exciting it is uh, for the playoff races. Come, come, you know, come down the stretch the last four to six weeks of the playoffs. If you're going to have ten teams in each conference make the playoffs, um, well, what kind of playoff race are you going to have coming down the stretch? I mean, maybe, maybe there would be a team or two fighting with another team for that last wild card. But now we're talking about teams ten, eleven, and twelve in the conference. Uh, as opposed to, you know, those last two wild card spots, you could have six or seven teams fighting. That's a, which is what currently goes on, which is much more exciting, if you will. Um, so, yeah, you would get a big payoff of 48 hours. It would be good from a marketing standpoint for the sport of the coverage you would get, um, more so from the casual hockey fan um, during that time, not to mention that it would mean more money to the owners and the players, uh, which let's not forget that factor of it. But for a diehard well, hockey fan, right? For a diehard hockey fan, uh, I don't think it's a good thing at all. Like I said, I think uh, you would really you would you would take away a huge part of that playoff race, and you're like, well, our playoff race in March and early April is going to be about you know these three teams fighting for the tenth spot, and then you know so that's yeah. At the end of the day, that does not work for, work for me. No, I hate it. 
I don't want to see that at all. I don't think you need more than half your teams calling themselves playoff teams. I, I, I right. you could make the argument that the, you don't need the two wild card teams and you could leave those four teams out and play 12 man playoff groups and go right into the first round. As, as far as I'm concerned, you don't need it, by bringing 16 teams into it, it by definition, you're bringing the most medium team into the playoffs. If you have 32 teams when Seattle joins and you're bringing the 16th team in it, the, right. you know, you're, you're splitting the down average. the middle, you're, the average yeah. you're bringing, you're, you're bringing average into what should be a quest for greatness. Um, right. And so I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to see him take those wild card teams away, but if you would take it to the top 12 in the playoffs, you'd probably get a better brand of hockey. Um, and okay. So that, that being said, obviously every, every playoff home game is worth a couple hundred thousand dollars for the, for the team and league revenue and so on and so forth. Um, of course the owners are for it. Um, let's say you, you're uh, team 14 and you're playing team 17 or whatever it comes down to. And, uh, you, you're in a tough division and you finish fourth, but if it was a one through 16th seeded playoff system, you would have been seeded, you know, fifth or fourth in the conference because you're playing in a tough division. You took the first wild card spot, say, right? Um, so you're, you're a pretty darn good hockey team at that point. And you play this one game playing thing, even if you win a you go back on the road the very next night. So you're starting the playoffs back to back on the road. Um, don't like that aspect for a team that did qualify for the playoffs to have to uh, go through a back to back scenario to open a, a seven game series. I think a, you, you open yourself up to having player injuries with, uh, due to more mm-hmm. fatigue than should be necessary. Sure. You know, you get a, three or four days off to get ready for the playoffs. Maybe you've got some bruises and bumps and strains that kind of heal up a little bit before you go on the road. Um, so, that, so to have to do that to a team that, that under these rules would have qualified and maybe qualified higher seated than what they're playing as a wild card, um, they have to play a back-to-back and then open – a you know basically you're telling that team they have to play three games in four nights right because you have the playoff game then you go back for game one of the other series the very next day then one day off and game two on the road so i think that unduly penalizes a team who has really qualified for the playoffs um as opposed to a a rinky dink play-in game i think there's more Obviously, you don't want to start a seven-game playoff series playing three games in four nights. I don't think that's fair to a team that has qualified. B, let's look at some of the other sports that went this play-in game route. When you when you started with the uh, play-in game in in March Madness, did anybody really want to see a 17th seed play a 16th seed in order to go play the number one seed in the conference? Did I don't know what the ratings are on that but it probably aren't very good. I don't think that adds anything to a, to the March madness aspect of things. There's never been a number 16 team beat a number one seed. And so to add a 17th seed to play a 16th seed on a playing game is, is to me, it's silly. You're, 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 what you're doing is you're creating revenue for middle Tennessee state or uh, Richmond or, you know, uh, some mid-level mid-major conference. 
And, and it's all that is, is a revenue grab. And I look at that as the same thing. Um, it, it, that it yeah, would the, only thing, the, hockey. the only thing I want to see with the playoffs that change is the playoff format and the seeding from this standpoint. You win your division, you're guaranteed, you know, there's four divisions. So you win your division, you get either the one or two seed. The, the higher-ranked division winner gets the one, the lower rank gets, gets the two. And then after that, you can keep the same format, if you will, top three and then the two wild cards, but just, just reseed. So if you're second in the, in the Metro, but it turns out you're, you're fifth in the conference, then you get the five seed. You know what I mean? So right. that's, your seed, yeah, that's your seeding from three through eight. So basically, let's just say hypothetically speaking, uh, you know, Boston and Toronto went up two and three, in, in the Atlantic, and uh, they're they're in the top four of uh, you know they're in the top four in the Eastern Conference in terms of when the regular season ends. But they're going to play each other in the first round, which to me is a you know not that I don't want to see that series, but it shouldn't be happening in the first round. You know, so do do the reseeding. I have no problem if you win your division, you deserve to be a high seed. So I don't have a problem with even if let's say the winner of the Metropolitan. Uh, although the Capitals are pretty, uh, pretty much almost have they're closing in on the record for Toronto or Buffalo, why not? But even if that division, point-wise, is a little bit lower than the than the next team, you know, so be it. I, 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 you win your division, you deserve a high seed. But fix the seeding uh, would would be my way to go uh, in terms of in terms of the playoffs, and you know, do it based on seeding from three to eight. Absolutely, I want to see change with the playoffs. Yeah, well, well, just uh, I mean that, and that strengthens my point about, um, like you said, if you finish yeah, second in the, in, in the Metro, but you're fifth overall in the conference, you shouldn't be forced to because you were a wild card team to go play a play-in game and then go on the road for a seven-game playoff series. If you reseed the existing, and I, and I, you know, I like the thought process behind the way it's set up now is that the, you guarantee. Um, your two three, um, I, I like the, the the thought process behind it because I mean last year the the Golden Knights played the Kings in the first round, Sharks in the second round, and then went cross conference and played Winnipeg in the conference finals. So you're building the division rivalries and yeah. the best team out of the Central get to play the best team out of the Pacific and vice versa in the East. So I, I mean I, I I understand that. I mean it was just two years ago, I think, three years ago, where the Kings and Ducks, uh, maybe four years ago now, good Lord, 2014, the Kings and Ducks played each other in the playoffs for the very first time. And that's because of the, the way that divisional format uh, sets up. So I, I get what they're doing. And, and for to be in the league together, in, you know, 30 miles away from each other and not meet in the playoffs for 20-something years, um, kind of weird, but the, it was brought about by the current playoff format. So I dig that for the first round and, you you know, give the wild card to the number one seed. And then if you want to reseed the second round, I, I, I could buy into that. Um, right. So you, you might get a little more interdivisional play, um, you know, that way. And I'm fine with that. But I do like at least having the first round be divisional. Uh, between two okay. and three, but like like you said, if Pittsburgh and Washington finish two three, and they have to play each other in the first first round, well, win more games. Um, right. <laughs> if you if you don't want to play a tough opponent, if you're the two and three seed in your division for a reason, 
um, that's that's where you finish the regular season. So let's see which team deserves to advance and then reseed the the second round. I would buy that. I like the divisional playoffs in the first round. I know I'm probably in the minority, but I, I do like to see a divisional rivalry get stoked up and heated a little bit. There was there was a little bit of, bit of fire between uh, you know the the Golden Knights and the Kings last year. Dowdy gets suspended for a head hit after absorbing a couple. Yep good checks and and so on and so forth across the league i like that first round divisional play but if you if you want to talk me into reseeding that second round so you know the the best record plays the worst record and you know reward the regular season a little bit with that kind of a format i i I could jump on board with that as long as you're not trying to force four more teams down my throat (laughs) gotcha well sir uh Another year comes to an end. Um, go until January 5th of 2019. So um, we'll work together on uh, some guests between then. But have a great uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll catch everyone in, uh, I guess, three weeks' time. Yep. Same to you and yours and everybody out there listening to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We, we appreciate all you guys, and we hope your, your end-of-the-year holidays, whatever they may be, um, bring you happiness and joy to you and your families. Um, come back and check on us in the new year because we're going to have a lot of great content coming up to start the new year out. But for now, we're going to go on holiday, and you guys all enjoy yours. If something does happen where, where we need to come on and do a show here, uh, injuries, trades, suspensions, or anything, Chris and I will jump on give you a quick update before before uh, the start of the new year of course we'll be there for you guys because you're always there for us but until then have a great end of the year holidays for everybody and for Chris and Mark we're gone